0: I am Dr. Lee McDonald, and I am blessed and honored to be here with Dean Griffith, great friend of mine. The heart and, and, and vehicle God is using for the I Love You period movement, I think once you get into the story of Dean and once you hear the heart of what this podcast is supposed to be, I think you're going to um, really resonate with what we're trying to say, all the way from... Corporate the family, right? all the way from married to individual. Um, it goes from the wide to the very personalized. And I, I want you to meet Dean real quick. And Dean, introduce yourself. Tell us about I Love You, period, Love and scripted. what you hope to do. And then we'll get into some of these writings that we want to share that we
1: believe is going to change some people's lives. You know, this all started for me a few years ago, um, going through some personal hardships of my own and coming to an awareness of, that I had really struggled with um, some addiction and um, was, was in a very, very tough place. And as part of that, really began to think about this concept of love and more than anything, unconditional love. Unconditional love is not something that we experience a whole lot. And it was something that I had to experience to really begin to understand how to give it. And so I love you, period, is a result of a journey, a journey with God that really brought me to a place of understanding first and foremost how loved I am. And until I could understand that, it was going to be impossible for me to give that to the world. And when it comes to the place I spend most of my time, which is work, and in a corporate environment, I wasn't sure if it was going to play out there. I wasn't sure if that's a place I could use that but I began to understand that that is foundational to how we operate and how we lead. So I love you period became something that was not just personal with my family and outside of work. It became literally became the mantra for what I bring to work and how I show up as a leader. So I began talking about what I love you period means and how does that play out in the workplace. And it really started to tap into some places that I didn't know existed and how I operate as a leader, how I love those around me, and that it's fundamental ultimately to our success as an organization.
0: A couple months ago, you know, we started talking and it was almost, I don't know if it's like, I, I feel like you had the same feeling that I did. It was almost like God sent a person finally to glue the d- disjointed pieces together right? Like I needed this, I needed this, I needed this, and here it is. And it's almost like where God says two or more are, there he is. And it was almost, I mean, I don't know how long we talked that first time, we, uh, but it was uh, immediate. And then I, you know, I, I wrote some documents and I sent them to you and it was, I, I didn't know what you're going to think of it. It just, resonated with me at, at such a deep level, being a past youth minister, having degrees in administrative and management kind of stuff, and to resonate and to be authentic and to help people live at their best as a leader. When you started speaking, I was like, finally, someone gets me. <laughs> but it was almost like it wasn't lip service, right? It wasn't like what we have to say. It was more of a, this is who we are. You know, it's not a uh, it's not a business goal or a pillar structure. I mean, these aren't coined words. These are things that are burned and singed into our hearts. And I think you really have a story and a vision that's going to change people's lives. Have you always had this feeling in the background of your mind, of your spirit, or is there a Dean 1.0? in a Dean 2.0 that's going on here, that there was a, a paradigm shift? And what does that mean to you personally?
1: Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, and to be in a place now where I don't regret any of that. And that's a interesting spot that even I still don't completely understand, but I know is very real. And one of the things I've learned is that by finally being completely honest, most of all about my struggles, my weaknesses, my failures, and not speaking in code, talking specifically about what those are and being candid and being so bold to be authentic even with those that I've led in my current role and to tell them, hey, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I've been gripped by addiction for years. And to come clean and, and wonder, is that going to make them think less of me? And what I found very quickly was alarming in some ways that, that people were more drawn the, the very things that I wanted to be, which is authentic. I wanted to be a, a good leader that people wanted to follow. For many years the, the 1.0 version, I suppose, I, I thought it was about building an image that I needed to show people that I was an amazing leader and. What I've learned is, actually, I'll tell you a story. I, I had somebody tell me the other day, apologizing when, when he said it. Dean, I've learned more from your mistakes and failures as a leader than anything else. There was a time when I would have been offended by that. I was warmed and comforted to hear it. So has that changed? Absolutely. And as I, as I talked about a divorce that I was going through and, and shared that I had been unfaithful in my marriage, And I owned my responsibility in that and that I was getting help for that. This is not something that you typically share with those that you work with, at least not in my experience. And what I found was an incredibly warm reception and by leading authentically in in very uncomfortable ways, what, what transpired was nothing short of a miracle. It was people who decided, well, if he's going to do that, then maybe I can too. And I've gotten more opportunities to do the very things that I wanted to do for years, which is have impact and influence. I've gotten more opportunities to do that with people as a result of sharing what I always felt was the ugliest story. I should never share this. And what's resulted is it's created this incredible bond with those that I'm, I'm leading, uh, other people that I may not lead directly, but get a chance to influence and impact. And it all started with this idea of being authentic, but not just saying we're authentic. It's got to start with me, not just for me, but for those that I share my story with. You know, how this podcast even started was just
0: conversations and realizations between Dean and myself. And we want to invite you as a listener into these podcasts and have a conversation with us. So we'll have an email. We'll have a text that you can chat with us. And definitely have, you know, if Dean resonates with you in your your company or your church or your organization or your nonprofit or your leaders just need to hear something behind closed doors, like get real, get real, real fast. Dean's been amazing with that. Um, I, I grew up as a, a, um, a cradle, you know, a certain denominational Christian. Um, Everything was a sin, uh, but they had the call to the altar, right? It was like, well, everybody gets to hear your sin now, and God will forgive you. And it wasn't a safe place. It wasn't a safe place because I was too young to realize that church helped fund a certain university, and all the teachers and my mom's bosses, (laughs) everybody were in that crowd. So I'm like, I'm thinking in the authentic, you know, innocence of a child, right? Well, what's happening is all these people are making a ledger of all the crap I've done in in putting a label on my mom, and that's church. So, in a non faith where every every flavor of the world comes together in a corporate entity, and I I talked to my dad about this because he has a great testimony, and I told him, hey. You know, why don't we do some testimonies? Let's get your story out. Let's do all this. And at the time, he was working for a pretty massive company. And, and he was like, I can't do that. It'll ruin my life. It'll ruin us. We'll lose our house. And, you know, but after he retired, he became a pastor. He's now, you know, un- un- unfortunately, he has all- Alzheimer's now and came on pretty darn quick after his retirement. So when I, when, when I met you, not being yourself, not being authentic. And you said your failures have taught people more than your successes. Same here. But how many people can say that? You know, you've been through the fire, and hopefully people will, through this podcast, is my hope doing this podcast is that the listeners, you, the listeners, We'll be able to hear the authenticness, the truth, the the real, the unhinged, the unscripted love that comes when you know the real love. Like the thing that we're going to read next podcast is part of the titles, Revolution Science, Love, and Leadership. And people don't understand when I say, when I write love in documents, I mean God. That's what I mean. Like the love that surpasses all understanding. And if you think you understand it, you don't. It goes deeper. And I think that's what's so powerful Dean about where you're coming from and this whole I love you period, which I believe is going to be a movement because it needs to be.
1: Well, and Lane, maybe I should be more authentic since we're talking about it and talk about where I really was when this truly came about. I was living in a One-bedroom tin can of an apartment. I was separated at that time, literally feeling like I was in a pit of despair, completely at my own doing, finally getting to the place where I understood that there was really nobody to blame for how I was coping with life, how I was living, the absolute self-centeredness of where I was, And I had finally gotten to a place where I could not live that way anymore. And I had to come clean with the world and I I grew up in church as well. And I grew up hearing that, you know, God forgives you. I didn't have a fundamental issue with that, but I decided as part of this journey that I was on, that I was going to be alone. I didn't call friends. I didn't call family. I decided to do the thing that was the most terrifying, and I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. This was the most terrifying thing I ever did was to get alone with God and sat on a couch, a very uncomfortable, crappy couch. And I remember saying out loud, God, I want to hear from you. You've made all these promises. Um... I would tell people in church, because as you alluded to, church is, you know, probably one of the most judgmental places I've ever been. Nothing against church and hypocrites, because there's always room for one more of us. But I would have said I believe all those things. But the reality was I I wasn't living that way, and and God knew that, and I knew that. And it was in that moment on a Friday night I had chosen to not go out, and that was a commitment I had made. So thankful I did at the time. I was lonely, and I said, God, what do you want to tell me? And I remember two things. One was, I want you to explore the depths, and the other was this I love you period. And for those of you who don't know me well, I have a lot of tattoos. And that night, I went to a tattoo shop, and I walked in on a Friday night. It was busy, and I said, I'm going to get a tattoo on my wrist, and the guy's name was Christian which I thought was no coincidence. He's from Medellin, Colombia, very broken English. I told him what I wanted to get on my wrist, and he teared up and said, come on back. Now, this was a busy place, and I wasn't going to get in, but he heard what I wanted to get. He brought me back, and I got this tattoo. Later that night, I was sitting in my apartment again, and I was looking at the message, and I knew what I was supposed to do was, because I had been such a screw-up, So self-centered, I'd lived a life of addictive behavior, completely about Dean, and I knew that God was telling me, Dean, you owe the world. That's your life now. At least that's what I was convinced that he was telling me. So this tattoo means that this is how you need to live your life. You need to love people unconditionally. And that felt really good to me at first, until it didn't. Until a couple weeks later when I'm sitting in that same couch and I'm feeling suicidal and I'm wondering why do I feel suicidal and I'm asking God, like, is, is this it? I mean, I appreciate your forgiveness, but what I felt was, well, now I'm just forgiven, but I'm still a forgiven piece of crap and all I have left is to just love the world because I'm such a piece of crap. And that was when I felt God saying to me, Look at that tattoo again. And I look down and it's facing me and it says, I love you, period. And God says, That message is for you. And it was overwhelming. He said, Lift your head up, look at me. This message is for you. This is how I love you. Perfect love, unconditionally. No contract, no performance. This is how I love you. Until you understand that's how I love you, you can't actually be the all star, the brilliant all star that I designed you to be. And, and Lane, let me tell you, man, that was earth shattering for me. That the message was not that I owed that to the world. It was how I was loved. And it was a place that I finally came to through failure, through not the respectable failure, but like the really, really bad failure. The kind that nobody really wants to talk about. Not the, you know, I think I overate. Um, Yeah, I'm a gossip. I'm a bit of a liar. These were real, real, real sins, if you will. And until I had that story, I couldn't fully understand how God loves me. And what God was saying was, I don't want you to just sit on the bench and be glad that you have a uniform. I don't want you to just live a mediocre life. You're actually now in a place where you can showcase the brilliance that I designed you to showcase. And that's how the I love you period revolution began, was through incredible failure and being completely alone and feeling completely worthless, and God saying, lift your head. Like I'm not calling you, religion calls you to performance. God calls us into this relationship that's based on unconditional love. And it also hit me that that is precisely why Jesus was ultimately killed by the religious. They were so offended by his love. And that still plays out to this day. Religion, and I'm not pointing the finger at individuals or the church in particular, but religion is not appealing. Religion is all about performing, having this image that everybody knows you don't actually have. Because we're all doing it. And I just got to a place where I was sick of doing that. I was so unfulfilled. I was so unhappy. I was miserable, but I was creating this image and I realized I was spending all this time creating this image. I was doing that at work. I was doing that at home. I was doing that in my friend relationships. Everywhere I was going, I was creating this image. And inside I knew none of this is true. Drinking myself to death. I'm addicted with sexual, sexual addiction. I'm I'm a serial cheater in my marriage. I mean, it was everything I could do to keep it together. And now I'm finally exposed, and I think the gig's over, life's over, thanks for your forgiveness, but really, this is all I have to look forward to, and God says no. I finally have you in a place where you can truly be brilliant. And at the time, I didn't understand what that was. I didn't understand what that meant, but I listened. And it began that journey. So. That's where I love you period started. It was not me writing a book of whatever number of things you need to do to be successful and create the image and the brand and whatever it is that we're trying to do. And none of those things are inherently wrong. But the other 99.99% of the world says, that doesn't, that doesn't work for me. My life's a mess. I've got struggles and addictions and problems. And nobody needs another message that says, hey, let me just remind you how screwed you screwed up you are. But what, what I want to give to the world, what we're talking about here, is a message that says, lift your head. Your life's not done. In fact, if you begin to understand I love you, period, it is a revolution. And I believe that what we're talking about here, we already know this, it is so much bigger than us. We just happen to be mirrors. We get to reflect it. And... I don't ever want to lose that. I don't ever want to lose my story. I don't regret it, and I mean that. And there was a time when I did. But I I look at it now as an absolute privilege to have the story that I do. To be able to stand in front of people and always know, always know my story. Always be aware of it. I call them billboards. I will never in my life be able to get away from driving past billboards showing me who I am who I was, but if you heard me say, I drive past, God says, drive past that. You don't have to live that way anymore. Yes. Yes. You did that. Yeah. That was you. I was there. I saw it, but drive past it, move on. I've got something better. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about unlocking people to be the brilliant version of who God made them to be. And that translates into the corporate workplace, probably more than any other place in a world that we live in that is so based on image and status. And I believe, and in fact, I know, because I've had conversation after conversation, when I share my story and I share what God's done with me and I share what I love you period means, I have not had one person in the corporate workplace all the way to the top levels who hasn't said, man, I wish we had that. Well, there you have
0: it. Dean said it better than I could ever say it of course that's his experience and everybody else has their experience to be able to see yourself how you are without expectations or all your flaws and be okay with it right that to me is we we were both raised with the uh, the idea that you treat other people the way you want to be treated but we don't treat ourselves the way we want to be treated we don't give ourselves the grace the mercy the love the understanding that we try to give other people. And I could only imagine people that don't do that for other people, how much harder are they on
1: themselves? What you just said was really one of the great commandments, was how we love other people. I think it's very easy for us to, like I did, think that our lot in life is to love other people better than we love ourselves or however we screw that commandment up. And there's something that feels noble about it, and it sounds noble to other people. It creates this image that we we kind of really want people to think of us, as that we're just giving, loving people. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I love the fact that Jesus switched it up on everybody. At the very end, he was talking with his followers, and he said, you know, you remember the commandments, and one of those was, you know, love God, all your heart, soul, and mind love others, so I'm gonna switch that up a little bit. And he hit exactly what you said. He said, I want you to love others the way I've loved you. And I believe, it wasn't there, but I believe if Jesus could get a tattoo, it would be, I love you, period. And he would tell you, I need you to understand how loved you are. And when you can see that, then you can actually truly love other people the way you really want to. And I believe the thing that we get attacked with the most is, is our identity. And I think what we're doing here with I Love You, period, is we're we're not good with that. We're not okay with that. We're restoring people's identities so that they can love the world with a period on the end. You said it exactly how I needed to hear it. And that's
0: kind of what great friends or great people that are equally yoked or one's more yoked than the other, right? You get those people that elevate you every time you you see them or talk to them. And I I hope and pray uh, the listeners... No, this is a safe place. This is a sacred place. We'll have an email. We'll have a text and chat that they can chat with us with. We've got some really cool tech coming that will give them the opportunity to talk to us personally, to get involved personally, and to really elevate themselves as we elevate each other as God elevates us together. And it's it's, it's such a beautiful thing. To, and this culture needs to hear, I love you more than the angry bumper stickers they see on the cars in front of them. But, you know, I, I really like the fact that you, you poignantly uh, transitioned from the Sadducees and Pharisees and Jesus. He never came at um, the people that he was talking to. He only Got firm and even brought out a whip at the people that thought they were better than everybody else and were judging the other people like they had room to judge. I love the, the Bible verse that says, "You will be judged how you how you judge." So I would rather be the ignorant person that gives everybody all the grace in the world and then that's that's my judgment. <laughs> but how do we how do we do that with each other, right? And how we how we do that with ourselves? we judge ourselves the way we're going to be judged and that kind of really brings it back home for me personally but to wrap up this podcast I think we should start like um, just a a thought or something from each other like to to the listeners and my thought to you the listeners is I really want to get to know you I I really want to get to know the listeners out there that feel this themselves because if Dean feels that I feel it we're not built any differently uh, we're no special from god's creation than other people and i know from working in the corporate world or in creative world the pigeonholes that we put ourselves in the the, the farm fences that we run like wild horses around are self-built and they're self-defined most of the stress that we have in our lives is self-inflicted uh, we inflict it on ourselves and we inflict it on other people And I think that's the transition between the Pharisees and Sadducees with leaders in companies, leaders in families. I wish everybody had the I love you period tattoo on their hands because every time they reached out, they remind themselves that those hands are meant to show love, not judgment. Dean, what's your thought as we close out this podcast, our first inaugural podcast?
1: Yeah. Well, what I didn't talk about was on my left wrist is uh, another four words. I haven't even seen this. Let's go. Sober. So <laughs> yeah. And this sums up what I felt after I got I love you, period. Is these four words sober, honest, selfless, secure. And I get to stare at those every day, won my sobriety, not just with alcohol. But living with a sober mind, being rigorously honest, sometimes to the point of alarming other people with how honest I am, but yet bringing them to a place where if I can do that, they can do that. Being selfless. Those those things that used to scare the hell out of me bring me security and peace. So when I think about what do we want people to hear, there's so many things. But one thought today is... If you believe the lie that there is something that you have done or you are in a place even now as you hear our voices, that you believe, truly believe in the quiet of the night that your story is not redeemable, I want you to hear that as an absolute lie. There is nothing, nothing that is unredeemable. And beyond that, God's actually calling you out of that story to do something brilliant. So this is all about unlocking people from believing the lie that your story is unredeemable.
0: And as we close out, Dean, I was really thinking, uh, you kind of hit it at the end there where throw out the script, right? That's what I heard. Throw out every single script. Someone says they have an addiction. They were unfaithful. They did something like horrible. They're going to go to jail you know, all the way from the top to the bottom, right? Throw out those scripts that we have been put into our head through the machine, through school, through parents, through people, through the system of this humanity, the imperfect system of humanity. Throw out those those scripts and live your life to the fullest in love, unscripted.